0: This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onex Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we're back with part two of Q and A with Justin McGrail. Thanks for tuning in to episode number two hundred. All right, we're back on another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Got a quick intro for you today. We're back with part two of Question and Answer with Justin McGrail this week. Thank you to Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. Your continued support is greatly appreciated. And as I'm recording this intro on Thanksgiving, I am extra thankful today for Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. And everybody out there listening, don't forget to leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe. Follow the podcast, whatever you can do in your podcast app. Those things are always appreciated. And as this episode will be up tomorrow, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday with family and friends. And I hope you're getting out into the uplands this weekend. We had the return of sunshine and 40-degree temps, at least in this part of the world, making for an awesome extended holiday weekend to get outside, maybe follow a bird dog or two and chase some upland birds. Done a little bit of grouse hunting already this week and hopefully a bit more this weekend. So wherever you are, whether it's prime time, bird season, things are just getting started, or things are winding down, kind of like they are around here, get outside and enjoy it while you still can. If you're listening to this podcast, and you've got the time and energy to put into upland bird hunting, I'm just going to assume that like me, you feel very fortunate to be in a position in your life to have a pastime, a hobby, a passion like this. You got a lot of other things going for you in your life. And as such, have much to be thankful for. And on that note, I will say once again, I am thankful for each and every one of you out there listening to the Birdshot podcast. I hope you enjoy part two of our Q&A session with Justin McGrail. We've got purely question and answer on today's show. We're going to jump right into it. And don't forget, if you're learning and enjoying what you hear from Justin today, definitely check out the Upland Institute at uplandinstitute.com. Justin and Ron Bame's video training series for developing your bird dog. And if you're hungry for more Q&A with Justin McGrail, go over to the Hunting Dog Podcast and catch up on the back catalog of all the Q&A sessions he and Ronnie have done over there if you have not heard them already. Or go back and re-listen because no doubt there's a lot of knowledge and information packed into those episodes and they are certainly worth re-listening to. So with that said, let's jump back into our conversation and onto the Bird Shop Podcast with Justin McGrail. All right, next question from Steve. This actually wasn't a question. I threw this in the pile because I wanted to get your take on it, but he, he was giving me topics for conversation on the podcast, one of them being ticks, and he writes, as hunters and bird dog owners, we have to deal with them. That's definitely correct. How about a specialist We can talk about avoiding them? Um, what are the latest for collars, sprays, repellents, et cetera, et cetera? So Justin just wanted to pitch that to you. What are you doing for tick prevention and or removal, anything in particular? What's the deal?
1: Yeah, I can't. Uh, ticks are awful little mm-hmm. things. And, and I'll be honest with you, in, in my travels, I worry more about ticks than I do porcupines in the grousewoods. I worry more about ticks than I do prairie rattlers in Montana. Hmm. I, if you can believe that I do because I have seen more dogs messed up by something they got from a tick than I have from a snake bite, like permanently messed up. Some of them dead.
0: Yeah, well, um, and I and I should, I will say that Steve wrote, he said he lost a dog to anaplasmosis, so that's at the root. And which that's an interesting, I wanted to get your thoughts on that too, because both my dogs, I've talked to a few people about, They they both tested positive for anaplasmosis at their annual checkup, but they were like mm-hmm. non-symptom showing. And I've heard that from a lot right. of folks that it's just, you know, our dogs are basically getting bit by these things and, Anaplasmosis can be a total non-issue or in, can be a worst case scenario. I mean, so it's, yeah, it's scary.
1: Yeah. And some of those tests will show positive for mm-hmm. exposure. Right. 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 And, and they're, they're, you know, you only treat symptoms with a lot of that stuff. I had a dog and I was in Minnesota, but the dog, I am hundred percent certain got infected with anaplasmosis in the Western upper peninsula. And the friend I was in Minnesota with knocked on my motel room door about quarter to six in the morning. And he says, you got to come look at this dog. We go out and I open the door. I got my headlamp on. And this dog is lateral. And did not move a muscle when okay. I opened that door. He should have been, hey, okay, good right. morning, we're ready. Right? And my headlamp goes to his ribcage. cage. Is this not breathing? And he was. But this dog was on death's door. Okay? He was crashing fast. And I had a normal dog tonight. Wow. Mm-hmm. And uh oh my god, I don't and when I pulled him out of his box, that dog screamed in pain. Jeez. Like you were backing over him with a truck tire. Screaming. It, it hurt him that bad just to move. His joints were just painful like nothing you ever seen. And uh He spent a day and a half at the vet on IV antibiotics, and they they brought him around. And and three days later, he was, hey, normal dog, right? But he was close. He was in a bad way, all from that silly little tick. So it's nothing to take lightly. And a, a really good bird dog buddy of mine here in Michigan, he lost a fantastic grouse dog in her prime from Lyme nephritis, right? That dog had been carrying around Lyme unbeknownst to him. And one spring, she's not getting in shape like she should. She's having fatigue issues. Her stamina is not there. She quits eating, goes in. Her kidneys are failing. And she was dead two days later, gone. No bringing her back. Kidney failure from limes. So it's a very real threat. You know, years ago, the uh, collar, tick collars were Mm -hmm. kind of a joke. You know, you'd see them like in grocery stores, right? And they, they didn't really work. Right. I think that Soresto collar is a pretty good product from what I've seen. Um, I think that's a pretty effective means, and then. You know, you, this, this stuff is changing so fast in the veterinary world, right? They're always coming out with these new, the orals, monthly, yeah. topicals, monthly, yeah. three-monthers, and this and that.
0: Six month, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, so, and good, goodness gracious, if you get on your computer and start, you're always going to find somebody whose dog had a bad reaction. It's so like don't write that off.
0: with dog food or Medicaid. Yeah, if you go and look yeah. for reviews, you're always going to find a, a dog that has died, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. I I put this on my dog and six hours later, he had a massive seizure, right? Same thing happens with human medicine, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and the odds are over with these, this stuff is not, we are not the Guinea pigs for this. with our dogs, that's already happened by the time we can buy it. Right. Okay. So the odds are overwhelmingly with you that these are safe products. However, it becomes a numbers game. And unfortunately, when it's your dog, yeah. right but you got to do something because letting your dog go unprotected that's no good either
0: not gonna end well i don't think yep.
1: no no and like you know uh, western upper peninsula northern minnesota northern wisconsin oh my god yes. Right? yeah yep. oh man
0: bad news you know yep. i used the stressful collars for a couple of years and i actually what well, they you know they say those are not a repellent but i swear like the couple of years i had that on hartley like I did hardly even found any ticks on them and that was that was a while ago and now I, I use one of the ingestibles um and monthly thing and that works well enough the other thing I do is I'll I will spray it's my two-step thing is I spray the dog their crate pads with a like a fabric safe permethrin and and I'll spray that and I feel like you put them in there after a run I feel like that does kill i find a lot of dead ticks on there and whether they're biting the dogs and dying from the adjustable or a combination of both I just, those are the two things that i that i do and is and i and i also remove and have a little comb and try to get as many off as you can but you you know how that goes you're not getting them all yeah. off that's for sure
1: i spent a few days in minnesota last october and it just jumped right because lower peninsula of michigan we have some spots and everything but they're not awful awful You know, yes, they're a factor. Yes, you should be protecting your dog. But last year when I was in Minnesota, every single bird dog dude I was around, they got a tick comb in their pocket. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Standard issue, man. (laughs) And you you get done with a run, you put them on the tailgate, you comb them out. Yeah. And you go run another dog and you come back to the truck, you pull that dog out again and comb them out. Yeah. And when you get done at the end of the day and you get home, you comb them out again. You know, you just do everything you can, but it, 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 you know, there's no way of getting around hunting with a bird dog and not having them be exposed to some hazards. That's part of this. You you do everything you can to protect your dog from those, but they exist and they always will.
0: Uh Yeah. All right. Next question from Jacob. The uh, question is, how to handle the in-season work and rest balance? Oh, this is a good question. Seems like you hear so much about preseason, season but less about in-season. For example, this year I spent a week in Montana, dog hunted four half days straight, gave her four days off, then last weekend hosted a youth hunt for Pheasants Forever, the grouse hunted that night, and the next day, four days off, two days back on. Now I have until the following Friday before she hunts again. Do I rest the whole week? Do I get a roading session in? Light walk? And then he just adds in two-year-old GSP, rode it on gravel in the off-season. Pads are good. Um, so if if you stuck with us there, it's, it's just a really interesting question about how you how do you get the dog enough rest during the season but kind of maintain that in season form.
1: Yeah, no, that is a good question. I was taking notes, so I got mm-hmm. this right. And I, I he's he's right there on the right path i feel you know and i will say a 2 year old german short hair they got a lot of bounce back to them right you know they can take some hours really when you're looking at your your hunting you know they're kind of on the clock when they're working and when you hit those hunts that stretch into Three hours. That's where you're really drawn into reserves mm-hmm. that the dog has stored. You really are. And that's where they need some recovery time. Now, a young dog like that can gut it out like his, you know, I would say his four half days in, in Montana certainly probably qualified as that that level of work um, and no issues with that. But he had that nice recovery period right. Right for that to, to truly recover from that. That doesn't happen in one day. From, from a four-day back-to-back, full half-day hunt. So that's a good spe- space of time to keep him off. You don't need to do a thing there. And then he had two days on. And then, okay, no problems there, I'm sure. And now he's got five days until his next weekend hunt. So I wouldn't feel necessary. And he sounds like he's done his preseason conditioning, too. This dog should be in really good shape. Right. The only case I would make for maybe giving that dog a spin midweek would be, you know, if it's some of those dogs, you got to take that edge off there's right. nothing else around home. you know? <laughs> And five days for a two-year-old dog that's in super duper shape or during the season, he might need just a little spin. Nothing, nothing you want to draw into any reserves on if you don't have to save it for the weekend. Um, but give him a little shorty just to let him take the edge off, keep his cardio going. You know, a lot of this is heart and lungs too, not just weight. People get hyper-focused on weight. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of this is heart and lungs as well. And the other thing that's pertinent here, many times the root of fatigue in these dogs when you're on these multi-day hunts is hydration. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, A road trip with a dog. He's talking a lot of time in the box, usually. Often spending the night in there. Some people don't bring him in to wherever their, you know, accommodations are. Yep. And so the dog has no access to water all night. Should take a nice, healthy drink in the morning. When you go hunt, what are you going to do? You're going to put him right back in that crate in the box. Yep. He's bombing around in there all day, and he goes and runs. And you're watering him as you hunt, of course. And when you get back to the truck, and then he's back in the box. So if you start to add all those windows of a 24-hour period where the dog does not have access to water around home and in a kennel or something, that dog can take small amounts of water very frequently at will. Yep. He can regulate his hydration. There's those long blocks of time on a trip where they do not have free access to water. You cannot possibly get enough water into these dogs. I'm putting water in these dogs every chance I get. I feed with water. I'm always trying to let those dogs out and have a drink. That's one of the big reasons a lot of seasoned dog guys and veterans use stakeouts and little chain gangs when they're traveling. Because whenever they have an opportunity, say you're back at the motel or wherever you're staying or whatever, put that dog on a stakeout for a couple hours if the weather's appropriate and put a pan of water there. Hmm. Let him have some time out of the box to be loose and stretch and take his water don't pull him out on a leash and give him five minutes. You know, he's probably going to think maybe I'm going to go hunt again. He's distracted, you know, right. Give him time to take that water. And that's huge.
0: Yeah. That, that's, that's great insight there. And that's one of those, you know, I've everybody that deals with it on, on the hunting trips. And, you know, if if you could just say, Hey, you're going to need this water later, drink a full bowl, <laughs> but but it's, yeah. you know, it's not going to happen when you, when you let him out for five minutes. So, so in any any chance you can get to increase the access to water with the stakeout chain or or anything is great advice. I I typically I don't put water in my food at home, but I do on the road,
1: and that yep that yeah, does same. does help. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't do it year round, but when, but when and the travel when they're hunting back to back, I'm getting water in them at every opportunity. Yeah, good stuff. All right, yeah, and that's uh, that, yeah again that was a good
0: question from Jacob. Just as far as like I think. The my takeaway would be if you got a week, you know, five days off before your next hunt, kind of like you're reading your dog. You know, every time you go to the door, is your dog up pacing around? Like, does he need to have the edge taken off with a 30 to 40 minute run? Go ahead and go ahead and do it. You're not gonna, like you said, you're not gonna tap into the reserves with that, but you're taking the edge off. But if the dog is, is Obviously resting and recuperating, and not not seeming like it needs to have the edge taken off. You know, let it continue to recover. Just kind of read your dog, I guess. All right, next question. Uh, this was sent to me on Instagram. So he's looking for insight on cross training a Griff to also hunt snowshoe hare and rabbits. I know there's some debate about doing so. Some say it will ruin a bird dog. I would like some insight on how hunting rabbits should, if at all, be done with a pointing versatile breed. So what do you say to somebody that, that might want to mix bag hunt with their pointing dog,
1: Justin? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not my thing. And here's why. And I think a lot of bird hunters would probably go along with this train of thought. When I'm hunting birds, I really would prefer that a dog ignore rabbits. rabbit mm-hmm. scent. Now... A lot of these dogs, you know, if a bunny's sitting tight in a brush pile and they smell it, I, dogs will stop and point those sometimes, yep. okay? Yep. You go over there, there goes the bunny bots and I, ah, 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 you come with me. We're, we're looking for birds. I want that dog looking for birds. That's why I'm there, really. Okay, so that's just me personally. I don't want a bird hunt continually being fractured by, uh, hey, here's some rabbit scent, and that, I've been taught that that's good, too. Uh, it's just my personal thing. I'm not into shooting bunnies with my dogs. And I don't like the idea of shooting things on the ground when there's dogs running around. Yeah. I feel like that's leaving a chink in the armor for, you know, something bad to potentially happen. Um, and I don't want that dog thinking that's why we're out there. However, there's no real rules to this. We're all different. I'm not going to say that don't do this. If this guy is into it and he's got a dog, I mean, let's face it. A lot of parts of the country, there's way more rabbits than birds. Right. That's what usually leads to this. Why not? Okay. I wouldn't encourage the dog to trail. Okay. But if his dog comes like the situation we just mentioned, yeah, he found a bunny in that brush pile or this, whatever. I mean, okay. And train him to be steady. Right. When that bunny comes bouncing out there, if that dog's standing, just like you would hope with his birds at the end of the road, watching them fly off. Um, It's up to you. That's your thing. But I can't go along with letting him tracking trail i mean yeah. that doesn't make any more sense to me if, let's take him to train him to hunt mountain lions right uh, i mean just i got some friends that they got bird dogs and they have beetles why because they like to hunt rabbits and birds sure. not everybody now some people are just one dog owners though and so that's what this guy's kind of thinking um so he can try it but i wouldn't encourage any long distance trailing and i would train that dog for safety's sake to be rock styled steady stoppable in the presence of a running rabbit after that you know i mean some people do it with spaniels It's shoot bunnies squirrels birds right right. they're just hunting right (laughs) whatever game is produced for the gun and nothing wrong with that if you're legal and you're safe god bless you have fun yeah
0: yeah i think you really like sort of cleared up the sentiment that he's picking up, like when he's reading and or hearing about, you know, people not wanting to quote unquote, ruin, ruin the bird dog. It's it's what you're talking about there. It's like, if you, if you are a bird hunter and you want to solely focus on birds, we're probably not going to do anything to encourage the dog on rabbits. But in the case of somebody else that wants to do it differently, it's not necessarily a, a big fear other than the things that you pointed out regarding safety. It's just, you've got to be accepting of the fact that you're going to be encouraging your dog
1: to get into rabbits. And if you're happy with that, okay. You're right. It's, it's, it's his dog yeah. and, and he should proceed as what, with what he enjoys. So I had, you know how your snowshoe, your hair population goes up and down mm-hmm. and up and down. Yep. And I used to have this little female setter. She's like, dynamite little bird dog however i had some years in minnesota when the hairs were way up i was in some places i turned around went back to the truck that dog would run pointing hair after hair after hair and and insert with pockets we'd go to another spot and there weren't hardly any right we could have a good bird hunt with this dog but there was no change in that in that dog that was part of that dog and it drove me bonkers. I'm hunting grouse, you know, <laughs> quit, quit, quit pointing these rabbits. Yeah,
0: I remember, I remember chatting with you last fall. I was picking your brain on, on rabbits because, uh, or hares because my young set rose. she had a little inclination and a tendency towards them last year. I would say it, it has lessened. They can be tricky though, because a lot of times I, th- I mean, I think sometimes unproductive points. Like once, once I figured out that she was, she was pointing rabbits, then you get an unproductive point and you're like, gosh, was that a rabbit? Or was that really a grouse that ran and disappeared? Like you start to question things, you know, and it can be tough, but I've, I've seen it from both of my dogs. I have seen them pay attention to hares and to one, you know, to certain, like to varying degrees, I should say. But for the most part, we're, we're sick to the bird. So I'm happy.
1: And it it should just get better as she really, you know, continues to mature. Yep.
0: All right. Next question from Andrew. My question is, if you could give every new bird dog owner wanting to chase wild birds, a broad outlook of how to view their dog and how to bring them along and maximize their ability as a wild bird hunting dog, what would you tell them? I don't think focus on raising a wild bird dog is a mainstream idea. It seems to be focused on training systems and games to play. Why don't you think the narrative of raising and developing a wild bird dog is more mainstream in publications and
1: breeders? Mm. Well, we've touched on some of the things with young dogs that we want to do to bring along a wild bird dog earlier. For sure. You know, starting with little puppies and everything. I would, respectfully disagree with but i I think i know why he has that impression there always has been and always will be a dedicated and it's pretty large group of guys who breed for develop and train for and hunt wild birds Mm. that crew has always been there and is still there i think the reason he could easily come away with his impression is that fraternity has a relatively small percentage of people who are trying to put themselves out there. Mm. They are kind of keep-to-yourself kind of dudes, mind-their-own-business kind of dudes, right? Yep. And and, and so a lot of this information that's being fed to people contains a higher percentage of that other stuff. You know, sometimes people ask me, where do you buy your puppies from? I, I get them. I'm blessed. I feel fortunate. You know, I get them from friends. And these are, you're not going to, you're going to find a website where these are coming from and they're litters that they never make it to market because the owner of mom hangs on it too. The owner of dad grabs one, this buddy gets one, this buddy gets one. They're never offered for sale. Yeah. Those guys are out there and they're out there in strong numbers. You just don't hear about them because those guys there are kind of. You know, they typically keep a small core group of like-minded friends, and they just stay right in their happy little place. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I kind of like that. Yeah,
0: no, that 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 makes a ton of sense. Again, it's the access to information. If if you're hearing about it, you know, the, some effort had to be taken for for that message to be put out there, and so I think that that puts into perspective.
1: Why. Yeah, and we, you know, and there there are some really good breeders who are total wild bird guys Right. who you will look up when you do a search, right? They, those guys are there. I just don't think they're representative of the whole. You're going to see a lot of the others that they're geared more towards trials, tests, and whatever. You're going to see more of that yep. information, but the the other end of the spectrum is out there in strong numbers for sure.
0: Yep. All right. So this next question is from Tim would like Justin's thoughts on bark collars. I will add, I have a regular in-ground invisible fence, so he might address any confusion the dog may have between the two. I have three-pointers, a five-year-old female that rarely barks, lets out quite a barrage if a deer is spotted in the yard. This is forgivable, does not happen too often. A 10-month-old female that like to bark at pedestrians walking past, especially if accompanied by a dog, also hearing other dogs bark. She has reacted well to. He gives a name of a bark caller here. Um, maybe I'm going to cut it off there, and let's just let's just talk talk bark callers. Yeah,
1: they have their place for sure. Um, I, nuisance barking, true nuisance barking, it gets under my skin. And Maybe that's from a lifetime of being around cows. Yeah, I just it. I look, there are reasons that a dog will bark that are understandable i can wrap my head around there's somebody here that you don't know that can be very normal barking okay um the the deer thing you know most of my dogs i got a bunch of these um, we have an overpopulation of whitetails here on the home training grounds where the kennels are and they totally are acclimated to me the dogs and what we do here they are borderline tame these dogs see them every day OK, yep. the overwhelming majority of these dogs, they become desensitized to that. But I had one. She was a lifer with a bark collar. It didn't even need to be charged. Otherwise, she saw him every day of her life. But she would yap her guts out at those. deer, and drove <laughs> me bonkers. Right. So she was a bark collar dog. Um, you know, one thing. Uh, so the cool thing about a bark collar is it's working 24 seven. He mentioned an auto rise. Yeah. That's a feature on (laughs) a, sir. Okay. I've never been comfortable with that. Here's why. And the manufacturer of that collar makes outstanding dog electronics. Okay. And I think there's other settings where you don't have to use that. Okay. Here's what I don't like about that. I am forfeiting control of what my dog feels. So I understand it in concept. Right. Little, okay, this level, the dog's continuing to bark, it's gonna turn it up for you. Okay, and we're at the next one. And the dog continues to bark and it keeps going up on its own. I don't wanna give up that kind of control. I wanna be in control of what my dogs feel from any kind of e Here's the practical application potential train wreck. Some dogs will vocalize when that correction gets to a certain level. The collar doesn't know the difference between that vocalization and more barking, mm-hmm. so it could it could conceivably continue to ratchet up, and I've seen that. So I like to be in control of the levels. You got to play around to where it's annoying enough to the dog. He mentioned confusion with the invisible fence.
0: Yeah, and that was kind of I didn't finish the part of his question. He was talking about he had he was using this collar that was using the auto rise setting, and the the gist of it basically is that. The one setting was not enough. And the dog just barked right through it. And then the higher setting was too much. The dog came running inside and was like cowering. And he was, I think he was wondering if that was maybe confusing the dog about the invisible fence. So obviously you could have multiple, multiple signals, corrections going on here. That could potentially cause confusion for the dog. But there was seemingly no middle ground with this collar where he couldn't find the right setting for it to like just like what you were getting at there. It's got to be enough for the dog, but not too much. And so I think long and short of it, I, I also owned a bark collar from that company, and it was not very good. It, it was not yeah. not very good at all. Um, so I got a new bark collar. I've tried three of them. I finally found two on... I, I went and did what some people say don't do, go buy an e-collar on Amazon. It was a bark collar. I bought it for a specific reason. They work great, and they have solved my barking issues that I've had here at the house. And yeah, so I I use them on both my dogs because they will bark at people walking by. Just nonsense. Don't need to be doing that. Uh, But these bark collars fix it. Now, Hartley, the older one, he, I took, it took me a long time to get a collar that I used consistently enough to work. So, but he can't help himself. He'll still bark sometimes and, and get corrected by the collar. Rose is on the other end. I got to her when she was very young. Really smart. She figured it out right away. She just knows not to bark when she's wearing that collar. <laughs> but
1: yeah, they do figure it out. Yeah. And I could probably guess which one you got, and it's probably the same ones that are hanging up on my rack back mm-hmm. in the kennels. Okay, it, it, it's a good unit. It, it's a really good unit. You know, really, I mean, I, I'm not under any obligation or affiliated with any electronics company. I'm just like everybody else listening. I buy it. Okay. And so I buy what I like and what I think works best. And I have a lot of different stuff there. But there's really two manufacturers of dog electronics that I feel that lead the pack. And I think we all know which two those are. Yep. Okay. One of them, their e-collars, training collars, have a rheostat intensity dial, which is not a stair-step progression up in, you know, levels. Okay. It's a true linear rise in the intensity level. If anybody from that company is listening, would it be possible to make a bark collar that had that same feature? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be neat? Wouldn't that be neat? I got to think it's possible because if they can do it in an e-collar, why can't they? Maybe it'll be a little more money, maybe a lot more money. I don't know. But that would solve this guy's issue, wouldn't it? Because what he's finding here is in his stair-step progression e-collar, this one's not enough and this one, causes him to run back in the house. And I'm not sure I'm 100% sold that it's confusion on the invisible fence thing because he would just move to a safe place in the yard. He ran in the house because that hurt him. And a dog that's hurt is naturally going to go to a safe place. Okay? That's why, that's more more likely why the dog ran in the house. So he just, one's too much and one's not enough. He needs to play around with different collars. And uh, if they ever come out with that collar... Well, maybe they heard it here first, Yeah. we'll see yeah. Um, I might that know, would be cool.
0: I might know somebody over there, so
1: okay, well, pass that along <laughs> and see what the what the possibilities are of coming out with that because this is not the only dog I've seen that phenomena, you know, yep, too much, not enough phenomena Yep. And, and and if you can find that little sweet spot in there with that rheostat intensity setting, that would be really a cool feature to have in a bark tolic, yeah.
0: Yep. Uh, and I will just add in the, ultimately what I ended up looking for in a bark, I needed something that I got a fenced in backyard. And I'm, a, I'm in a somewhat of a unique situation. I, I I work at home. So I'm here with my dogs and I let them out into the backyard in the fenced in yard. And we got this fence. We didn't always have this. I let them out there and then they're barking at people walking by. And so obviously not, not good. I didn't want that. And but I needed a collar that worked, and for me, there was one little thing: I, I you got to put it on every time, right? Every time the dog goes outside, you got to put it on. Otherwise, you do it one time, they don't bark. Then you put them out without the collar, and then they bark. So then it just defeats the whole purpose and drives you nuts, or at least it drove me nuts. So f- the solution for me was I found a collar that had just a little snap buckle, not the the regular you know, thread it through and poke the needle through the whole buckle that, I mean, it's 15 seconds, whatever it takes to put it on, but the snap buckle made it so easy to snap it on the dog and snap it off every time that it, it, it was like the hurdle that I needed to then consistently put it on the dogs and now my barking problems are essentially gone unless they're not wearing the collar or something. So
1: that's a great idea. Just making it that tiny bit easier for yes. you yep. achieve that consistency. And the other thing I like about doing that's a great tip and is you always have the correct snugness. Exactly. Always.
0: Yep. That's why. Yep. Yeah. Yep yeah so if if anybody has questions about the call i think i looked for them recently for somebody else and they were gone um or not available but there's there's other ones available so if anybody wants to know they can they can reach out to me on that but um good stuff there all right well, we'll move on to the next question here from greg he said uh thank you to nick and justin both Uh Justin's tutorials are invaluable for do it yourself. Bird dog trainers. My unusual bird dog training question. Oh yes, yeah, so we got this is the rabbit one again. Uh should I allow my eight month old Brittany to continue her self learning of how to learn to hunt game by allowing her to hunt and chase rabbits in a suburban setting? He provides a lot of detail here. Well, I think let's just I, I think you read this question, Justin. So He's he's in an area where when he's exercising his dog there's there's rabbits but there are no game birds and he's curious about letting the dog develop prey driving skills and instincts with those rabbits but then taking the dog out to hunt is there any discrepancy there with it being location based when there are no game birds involved like how do you how do you think about that
1: yeah you know a couple things about this is you know the 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 rabbit. Honey hole there. Okay, he's, you know, the pup's exploring the world and getting excited about something Mm -hmm. and maybe waking up use of its nose. And okay, that's maybe movement the right way. Once you get that dog going on birds, though, I'm going to go back to I don't expect you to completely ignore him, but we're not going to pursue him. Yeah. Okay, if you want a bird dog here. And you know what? Gosh, this really shines a light on something. I'm sure this is the most convenient place he has to run his dog. And then he took his dog somewhere. And he's shooting some pointed release birds over the dock. That's yep. great. At eight months old. Cool. Okay. But doesn't it shine a light on the reality for so many people? If he had a place that was convenient for him to go run his dog that had birds, he wouldn't be messing with those bunnies. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. there are so many places now that don't contain wild game birds and that's sad that's sad you know i feel our breeding has come so far our understanding how to develop and train these dogs has come so far what we don't have today that the old timers had was that those guys could go out after work and birds 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 right real wild birds and those dogs are just blossoming those instincts and Hey, you know, maybe this guy falls into the exact same boat as the other guy. I got just as much, if not more, opportunity to work this dog on rabbits as I do birds. As long as he sticks to those same rules, but I, I, I can't go along with pursuing rabbits on the chase, on the fly. You know, I just don't see that as being a good thing for a bird dog. Yeah. So slippery slope there, still. It is.
0: Yep. Yeah. It is. Okay. <laughs> Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Naduski, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many Upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the Upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next Upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. All right, next question from Casey i try to make this short and quick. I'm an Arizona hunter. It's hot, dry, and the birds wear Nikes <laughs> like that. I have a three-year-old, he must be talking about what are the ones that run? Is that the gambles?
1: Gambles and scaled quail, okay. you know, are both pretty well known for that.
0: Not the Merns. The Merns are the tight holding ones.
1: Th- they should be. Um, I-, I have seen some Merns do pretty good amounts of running. That's a result from heavy hunter pressure. Okay. Um, Yeah, Uh, versus your desert quail, gambles, and scale quail. That's just what they do.
0: All right, I have a three-year-old GSP who during training points birds with what appears to be confidence. When we hunt for real, he doesn't seem to trust himself. Not sure if he is just not sure what he is smelling, breathing too hard, combination of both, and he does sight point and will sometimes point dead birds. I did the whole only shoot birds that he points, no wild, flushed, or busted birds. Not easy to do. I hear you, Casey. So my question is, is there anything I should be doing to help him, or is it truly just more wild birds?
1: Yeah, I can't think of anything else he can do. And Arizona can be a very challenging environment for sending. He's absolutely right. right. I mean, there's times it'll go four or five months and not rain that. And bone dry, you know, and, and running birds. And... I mentioned his dog occasionally point a dead bird he shot, you know, an and air-washed single quail that just hit the deck. That you got to be pretty close. Dogs usually got to be pretty close to it to find it right. in some of the scenting conditions they work in. So I can't think of anything more but more exposure to those birds. You know, uh, a live covey is going to throw off. It's not like his dog doesn't have a nose. If he can find a down single and point it, he is capable of pointing a covey, a live quail. He's capable. So I don't think he's got a major deficiency there. He just needs to stay at it. And, and, and his dog will learn if you let him, but he's got to show him some birds. You know, I think depending on the year and depending on what part of the state, some of the desert quail populations have not been overly strong recently. There's always exceptions to that, little pockets or, you know, it all depends on when the rains come and where they come. Um, but just show him as many as you can and and it's tough there you know it is a tough environment on dogs yeah there, there's no room for counterfeits in arizona bird hunting
0: um i'm just going to throw this out i'm 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 going to speculate a little bit based on casey's question and i want to get your thoughts on it um he mentioned not shooting the wild flush or busted birds and then kind of taking that on the thread of his his dog um he said what appears to become when we hunt for real, he doesn't seem to trust himself. So I'm just wondering if maybe the dog is sort of pointing, moving, pointing, moving, and then maybe, bu- you know, busting or not busting, but bumping birds based on Casey's comments. So I'm I'm wondering if this would be a, he's got a three-year-old GSP. Is this another good spot to throw in the whole stop to flush thing? If you've got, if you've got a dog that is, maybe accidentally bumping birds or not confidently pointing. If we're working on stop the flush, if the dog then stops to the flush, you can sort of create an opportunity out of, out of nothing there. Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to hurt him at three years old. I think that dog should be ready for it, should have a couple seasons under its belt. I think that would be a good, a prudent thing to do. And, you know, working running birds, here's the other thing. Not every dog is good at that. Mm. I don't care how much practice they get. Yep. You know, you got to learn your dog. And sometimes you got to intervene. You got to tell them, no, stay put. Because what you're about to try, you're not very good at that. And you got to give them the opportunity. It's a balance. You got to give them the opportunity to learn that skill set. Right. But I've known a lot of dogs. Boy, when those birds kind of hold pretty decent, they look great. And working a true running bird. They mm-hmm. just don't have the skill set to consistently pull that off. It all takes practice, but they're not all going to be great at it. You know, outfitter in Montana I used to guide for, he, he put it best. He goes, we all want to have the best dogs, but that's not possible, is it? How can we all have the best dogs? Mm-hmm. We can't. Well, we're going to get stuck with average dogs. And average dogs, they all have weak points, and that's the way it is. And that. Um, so maybe he's got a dog that doesn't lend itself to being good on runners. And, you know, what's amazing to me with, as a trainer and, and, you know, remember most of my experiences with young dogs and sometimes I'll get a dog out of here, started very huntable young dog. And in my head, I'm thinking, man, this dog's got some pretty big weak points in it. I and mean, Off they go. And almost every time the hunter figures out, regardless of strengths and weaknesses, how to use its dog to the best advantage to shoot birds. We just kind of naturally do that with our dogs. They'll play to his strengths and accept them for their weak points. They all have them, whatever that may be. But experience is king with bird dogs. It is king. That, That will maximize your dog's inherited instincts. You know, most dogs probably aren't getting enough hunting time to max out their genetic capability. Right. So the more we give them that, the closer we're getting to wherever that ceiling is in their genetics. Yeah.
0: Got it. All right. Next question from Eric. Our three and a half year old setter is a big running, pretty powerful dog. She handles really well when her GPS e-collar is on. A quick, a quick bump and she will turn and work her way back toward us, which is great. The problem is she's collar smart. She knows when the collar is off or even when the prongs are removed during a field trial. There's no bump coming and her handling falls off the rails. So we're wondering how to get that consistent response turn when called all the time, not just when she gets a bump from the collar. We understand she's still relatively young. Hope maturity will sort this out. But if there's anything we can do to help, we'd be open to ideas.
1: Mm. Yeah, you know... The dog has figured this out, so they're kind of bumping it to get it to come around and turn. They've done some form of training to teach the dog that, Mm -hmm. right? That's the stimulus you got to turn. But once that dog senses they can't do it, it's reverting to the dog it was born to be, okay? Which is the very reason you don't allow dogs to carry e-collars in a field trial, because the judges need to see what that dog was born to be. Right. that dog is a big winner, you better believe it's going to get bred. So it's a good thing, actually, that the judges are seeing what the very true nature of this dog is. And because we don't want self hunting dogs as the puppy buyers in the world, right? If the dog doesn't have the inherent natural want to go with you and be with you Mm -hmm. and hunt for you, and a dog can handle at 50 yards and they can handle at 400 yards, this is not a distance game, Okay. It's a, it's a cooperation game that you two are in tune. So before Collar, so he's got no problems when he's hunting or training. This is a trial thing, right? Those prongs are gone and my dog reverts to its natural tendencies, right. which is to not handle so much. Um, okay. So I always look to the past. What did guys do before we had good electronics? They let him drag a hundred foot rope and they'd be on a horse and they'd run him down. And that horse would step on that cord. (laughs) Hey, I got the, my voice means something. And if you don't come around, that's, I'm going to come get you. I can back it up. Yep. and, 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 but you know, conceivably you could run into the same thing. Uh Cord's gone. (laughs) Catch me if you can. Right. right? So sometimes it's in, so sometimes it's in the mental makeup of the dog, a dog that's, Maybe not quite 100% honest. He's looking for that opportunity to do that. And I feel sometimes maybe that's where we did play a role in that. Many times, my puppies are always dragging low puppy cords because I don't ever want them to learn that. Never let them learn that on the front end. Everything is always enforceable when you're a puppy. And if I'm in that situation that it's not, I am silent. I am not spitting out things left and right. I hope I can get that dog to do. He only hears from me. When I can follow through, yeah. So if that's in that early window, three and a half, we're past that. This dog has learned to be maybe a little sneaky. Okay. He's looking for that chance to get away with this. So this is a tough fix. And again, not every dog was born to be a field trial dog, okay? And and this is this dog's thing that's maybe keeping it out of the winter circle. Is he just this dog just doesn't handle? I can't show him do his best and it's frustrating because when he's got that collar on right okay i got to do what you taught me it's not really what i would like to do but <laughs> um but i look good there so enjoy him for what he is you know and i'm not saying quit field trial and the dog just go into it knowing that this at three and a half this may be what you have maturity can and does help right and some of those dogs what helps too is birds right when those dogs that big powerful dogs are not finding game they're all going to keep reaching they're going to go if they want that right um so sometimes a dog like that all he needs to win a trial is to have have a bird in the first 10 minutes yeah and then maybe you know what i mean i keep him focused on that task
0: yeah
1: um so that's all i got on that
0: one okay yeah good stuff Uh, All right, next question. Oh, this is a good one. I like this. How do you, not that I don't like all the questions, but this this one caught my attention. How do you weigh your trust in your dog versus the route you have planned in your head? So it was a very hunting focused question. I've had to go both ways where my dog pulls me off my planned route and we've got into a lot of birds and I've had it where we maybe only find one or two. I've always followed him because I can't smell birds, but sometimes I'm left questioning had I stuck to my planned route because most of the time I end up following my dog and his pre-planned route is often nothing like what I planned. Also, it's a five-year-old dog that's been a weekend warrior grouse hunting for going on four years.
1: Okay. I guess you would have to define deviation from your route. Right. For me. So to really nail this, um, here's how I'm looking at it. I absolutely am picking the general direction of the hunt. I absolutely give my dogs the freedom to use their brain and, and recognize places that are similar to where they found game in the past within the parameters of that general direction. I am never going to make a ninety degree turn and go a half a mile because that's the day my that's the way my dog wants to go. Mm-hmm. no way uh-uh no we're going this way, so I've often described it there's a moving invisible fence in front of me. Okay, and think of it like a baseball diamond, but a little bit wider at first and third baselines. Okay, that's where I want you. I'm going to pick the direction. It is 100% your job as a pointing dog to pick that apart out there. Do your thing. Okay, but we're not going to do a U-turn. We're not going over there right now. This is the general direction of travel. I think every run I take or every hunt with a dog has minor deviations Mm -hmm. in the general direction. I can't think of one that doesn't contain those minor deviations. That's just good dog handling. And you're flowing with your dog. That's, that's the pretty part we talked about earlier. When you get to those mature dogs, that flowing forward search, it's a thing of beauty, hundred percent focused on finding game in concert with you. It's beautiful. You don't get to that. By following your dog wherever he wants to go. Right. Right. So minor deviations are fine. You know, some people are hyper-focused on, well, you know, I mean, is a minor deviation, 20 yards this way, 50 yards this way, or is he just following a dog wherever it wants to go? Don't do that.
0: Yeah. That's a great, a great way to explain it. I think. And I think the, the person that asked that question will have obviously some idea of kind of what he's thinking. And I, yeah. It, it's, you know, our dog's They're obviously amazing at what they do, but they're not looking at the satellite imagery and knowing where the, where the cut is, you know, a half mile ahead, that sort of thing. So that's, that's kind of our job as the handler to put them in the best possible spots. And then, like you said, within that, give the dogs a latitude to show us where the birds are, because they're a lot better at that than we
1: are. Yeah. And never forget what the world looks like from 20 inches off the ground. Mm, Yeah, Your dog is not seeing what you are. Right. All right,
0: next one from Tim. Uh, Let's see. Anyway, I have a bird dog question. Would greatly appreciate Justin's insight. I've never heard about another dog with this issue, so I think it would be an interesting one for your listeners and a challenging one for Justin. Here it is. I have a four-year-old female GSP. We hunt primarily grouse and woodcock in New York. Two seasons ago, she developed what I call the woodcock shuffle, in quotes. She will find a woodcock, point it, And then she often proceeds to circle the woodcock in a crawl and point it from different sides. When she does this, she often flags. She sometimes will settle into a solid point on her own, or I can woe her. She only does this on woodcock. She does not flag or shuffle on grouse, pheasants, or other training birds. I feel like she has learned that woodcock will tolerate her shenanigans, and she wants to try and see the bird. Needless to say, it's not a good look and occasionally leads to bumping woodcock. She does stop to flush if she bumps the bird, so she does not get the reward of chasing. i never shoot a bird if she's actively shuffling. Is this just something I will have to live with at this point? The dog hunts a lot and is not just a weekend warrior. She's seen plenty of woodcock, plenty shot over her. It's like she views them as lesser game birds. Until the age of two, she was super solid on Woodcock. Nothing changed. And then the shuffle is driving me crazy. Any thoughts would be greatly appreciated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like this. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, yeah. Uh, I, I do. This is, this is an interesting well, one. I've got
0: I got to, so, I, I will just add this in there that I, and I told, I already emailed Tim and told him this, that I have seen this out of Hartley, my older setter, and I've seen him do it where he's got a bird on you know he goes on point 80 yards away I walk in and the way I've I've sort of felt it out in my mind is that it's a very tight holding woodcock one that doesn't get up right when you first show up on the scene and then I'm kind of walking around I've basically got past the point where I real like I think there's not a grouse here it wouldn't tolerate this so I'm kind of walking around and then I've seen Hartley basically do a short half circle and point the bird on the other side. And he'll do it multiple times, almost as if to say, the bird's right here, dad. Like it's right here. I'm telling yeah. you that. And so I've seen that a little bit and I I told Tim that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and I've seen this thing before too. Okay. And the dog is playing with its food, right? Mm. He, he, he's got him, and he knows he's got them. Yeah. And, and the dog is not demonstrating this on grouse. He's not demonstrating this on pheasants. He says he looks good on training birds. And he is four. Okay. Uh, So so let's not be ungrateful for what we have. Okay. This is going to come off as a little bit of do as I say, not as I do. Because one of my inclinations is to tell him, yeah, I can for sure, you know, that circle in the wagons routine as you're closing in, that is occasionally going to put a woodcock to flight. And I commend him. He's done his work. He's got steadiness manners in this dog. He's got a true, woe broke dog. He can enforce stop to flush in that situation and let that fly off. This started developing at two years old. If that was going to fix this, it would have by now. Okay? So... I can sympathize with him because if I sit back and think about this, if one of my dogs was doing that, it would drive me bananas. <laughs> try. Why don't you just stand there and point pretty like you do on your other birds? Right? That's what I want. You got them. I'm coming. Let's do this. So I might be inclined to try and fix it. I don't know. I personally own one that does that. However, if you occasionally lose a shooting opportunity, I Woodcock. kind. And everything else is good. This dog is four, just coming into its prime window, finding point grouse, handling pheasants good. Is it a big deal? And what you need to be careful of here is that you don't make something worse in an attempt to fix that. Right. All right. Because I would have advised what he's already done. You no, know, when that bird, if he moves, it, any movement that causes that bird to lift, stop. Right. Um, but that's not affected any change in the dog so it depends on how much this is going to drive it's real easy for somebody else to tell you don't let it bug you right right but when it's your dog it's a whole different perspective you know and i would be with him i want to see some manners on game i don't care what kind of bird and you've shown me you understand i've taught you this you do it on training birds you do it on other wild birds this is a woodcock thing And, and the dog is smart and of course, this, you know, he says he's not a weekend warrior. This dog does a lot of hunt, right? Yep, that's this dog has seen enough of them. Yep. that it's figured this out. It's figured this out. These little things here, let me play with them. That's <laughs> who she's doing, playing <laughs> with those birds. And, you know, I have always been kind of a go-with-the-flow kind of trainer, mm-hmm. you know. So you got to weigh this accordingly. I mean, if he's determined to fix this, have him call me. I might have a, let me sleep on this one. I, I, just some initial thoughts of what I might try. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. But you I might can, have you a can always woe the dog, right?
0: Like if you're moving in and your dog starts to do the Woodcock shuffle, I mean, you can woe the dog at
1: that point. Should be able to. Right. Right. Again, he's got a little bit of a hat going here. If he, if he can enforce stop to flush, mm-hmm. he ought to be there or very close to it. Yeah. So, and, and that's the other way to look at it from a dog training perspective. Woe means whoa. That period. Yeah. Don't care what species of bird you smell.
0: You know what's happening. You can you can head it off, and again, you still you still have the issue, but it's up to you at that point. You want to whoa the woe the dog, and or not shoot you know not shoot those birds that it's that it's putting up. But
1: yeah, and you know I I, I look at the scale of dog weak points that a lot of guys yeah. have in their hunt with. And a lot of those guys would be on cloud nine if this was their dog. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they're, you know, he's got a lot of good going for it too. Yeah. You know, and, but I don't fault him for nitpicking that. Yeah. It, it would, it would bug me a little bit maybe. Yeah.
0: Definitely a good question. Like you said, I think it's a, it's a always a good reminder, like, you know, how big of a concern and or issue is this? Is it, is it worth trying to fix? And, and I definitely appreciate the question from Tim as just a unique example and, and one to discuss. So good stuff. All right. Next question is from Garrett. I've got a one-year-old versatile dog in his first season, which also happens to be my first real season. Got some good weekly training in over the summer and prep for his NA test. and the hunting season, I've been trying my hardest to get the dog on wild birds. Dog got a handful of work in on prairie birds in September and has been on Ruffed grouse and woodcock ever since 8 to 10 outings. Made a strong effort to only shoot pointed birds. And after watching a lot of birds fly off, I'm starting to see a little bit of progress in his patience. My question involves pheasants and running first-year pointing dogs on them. I know both grouse and pheasants run, but with their reputation as track stars, do I approach pheasant any differently than I've been doing in the grouse woods? Shooting only solid points. Question. I live equal driving distance between pretty good grouse covers and pheasant covers with old men. Winter inevitably taking away some grouse opportunities, which that has come to fruition this year for Garrett. I see myself heading south towards pheasant covers more as the season progresses. Any tips on handling the dog in his first outings on wild rooster? Should I be staying in the grouse woods till the weather forces me out?
1: Mm. So
0: multiple questions there. Let me know if you need me to circle back. But
1: Now, the weather may have already made the decision for him for the sounds of things since he sent that in possibly. Yep. But let's say all things being equal with a dog that age, I'm going to go where I feel I can show him the most birds. Yep. That would make my decision for me with a dog that age. If I feel a trip to the woods is maybe going to provide... You know, one to three contacts or something, but I got a, a different place I can go, same distance, the other direction. And I can show him 25 pheasants. I'm um, to we'll go bring him to those pheasants. Now, you he hear this all the time. Well, don't put a young playing dog on pheasants because they run. And he is 100% right. Pheasants and grouse both run, but they run differently, I think. Uh, pheasants are more like a marble coming out of a slingshot they are going for points off in the distance beeline yes if you put some heat on them sometimes they start shucking and jiving looking for a spot to bury up or something but by and large they're gonna try and beat you from the ground and go grouse is more of a kind of going over here where the cover's better i'm doing this and He's more likely to try and beat you by taking flight when he feels that pressure. But moving birds are a skill every dog needs to develop. I don't care what kind of bird you hunt. Quail run. A lot of woodcock run now. That all being said, often the issue with young pointing dogs and exposure to pheasants is not necessarily the bird itself, but where they're living. You need to choose your cover correctly Tilt things towards your young pointing dog having an opportunity to do pointing dog work. I, I despise cattails more than I can put into words. <laughs> I, I don't want anything to do with it. Okay? And pheasants love them. Right? Uh, so, you know, I suppose everybody's got that memory of a fresh snow and pockety cattails and those dogs sticking those roosters are coming up right in their boot tips. Yes, that does happen Any most days. Um, you're far likely to see them piling out, you know, 300 yards away on the other end. I also don't like, I don't care how many birds are in there, those low sloughs that have over your head tall stuff growing in them. If you look at a lot of that really tall cover in those sloughs in there, and you look down at bird level, it's wide open down there. They love it. They get some sun on them, but they feel covered up. That is flushing dog cover. You put a young pointing dog in there, that's what, he's going to become a flushing dog. So you want to pick your cover accordingly where your dog's got a shot, and that means some good grass. You know, always look for that knee-high-ish, give or take a little bit, grass where you got a shot to point some of those birds. And I know you can't shoot them, but I feel like going out there and pointing a handful of wild hens is good learning for a dog. Mm, Yeah, For sure it is. Um, so pick your cover right for the sake of the remainder of the season. Go where you think you can get them the most bird contact. And I love the guys who say, you know, I, I'm just going to go along the edge of those cattails, the edge of that slough. Yeah, well, where are you going to end up when the, when the bird, five <laughs> minutes later? Are... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going to be. In, eight-foot-tall weeds in the bottom of that slough wondering where your dog is, and you're going to find out where your dog is by where all the birds are piling out. (laughs) Uh,
0: Choose your cover accordingly. I like it. Yes. All right, next one from Scott. I just acquired a 15-month-old French Brit, my first pointer. She ranges out to 90 yards. I'll beep her before she goes much further than that. Checks back, recalls very well. Pointed one bird and retrieved a hand, then found a live bird and retrieved it. I'm not, he doesn't say if that's a, I was emailing Scott. I can't, I think that maybe was a wild bird. I don't recall, but I'm sure catching that bird didn't help, but it hasn't changed her behavior. Mostly she runs and bumps birds. I'm trying to not shoot, but that isn't easy. Breeders suggested trying game farm pheasants again. She has had about 70 flushes on grouse, only a few real points, some flash points, mostly run and bump. Any suggestions?
1: Well, it's not as bad as it may seem on the surface, honestly. You know? So let's just take 70 grouse contacts. Right. Okay? If he's your average guy, anytime he hears grouse wings hit the air and his dog is anywhere over there, oh, the dog bumped her. Okay? Well, Maybe, maybe not. Yes, Mm -hmm. was the dog the reason of the bird's departure? Quite probably. However, no dog can point what they didn't know was there. It's all about contacting the bird Mm pre-flush. So if the dog's just running through there and a grouse blows out, the dog never had a chance to point it. So let's throw half of them out for that. So now we're down to 35 grouse contacts where the dog, (gasps) I smell him. Ooh, there's a bird in here. Mm -hmm. And he's gotten a few of those pointed. That's a start. Let's not look at this as the glass is half empty, because there's plenty of other people with a dog that age that, thank God for Woodcock, or they wouldn't have seen a point this year. Right, right. So the dog has some potential. It has some hope. And, and keep nurturing that. You know, he will learn more and more and more the more contacts he has. I, I didn't really hear... Uh, a problem in there. I just, or a hard question. I just sense maybe a little disappointment in his dog's performance. Yeah. Is that right?
0: Well, yeah. And I think, I think as I'm rereading this and you're asking that this is his first pointing dog. It's a 15 month old dog. It's been into 70 birds. So if I, if I rewind the clock eight, nine years or whatever, and put, I mean, I've talked about it a lot, like just my expectations between, what I thought I was supposed to be seeing and, and what reality is have changed so much over that time because I've just learned, like when I have that first dog, I'm, I'm thinking I'm dog's going to go on point. I'm going to walk in just like the painting bird gets up right in front of me and that's it, you know, but it's, it's just not that. So it might just be a little bit of sort of expectation setting and tempering and a reminder to Scott that, you're on the right track. You got to keep going, and yes, you're going to have to deal with some of this, and you're going to have to watch some birds fly away with a young pointing dog.
1: Yeah, I, I see it a ton. I mean, a lot of guys with that first dog in their head, they're done buying chicken <laughs> for the rest. I've killed <laughs> so many birds. I love that. I'm never going to have to buy chicken again from the grocery store, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's how this works. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, based on the information he fed us, when I throw in the first dog variables that the dog is probably being assigned blame for mishandling birds when that wasn't truly what happened. We're going to throw out a percentage of those for that. As certainly some of those qualify. And the fact that he did have some points, he mentioned, yeah, when I get some points, some of them are pretty staunch. Mm-hmm. Okay. The dog, he can do it. Yep. He can do it. He just needs more practice. Yep.
0: All right. Good question there from Scott. Okay. Next up, Tom, hopefully I'm not too late to the party. Thought about a question for Justin. Here's the scenario as I interpret it while actually hunting and not training. This doesn't seem to happen on training birds, which are pigeons, he writes, but happens on wild birds, roosters, grouse, and even woodcock. My five-year-old, Wime, appears to be moving off point and on the bird once he acknowledges me. There are times where he is out of sight, and I hear the bird go up, so I'm not certain if the bird became impatient and flushed, or if he became impatient waiting for me and moved on the bird. But other times I am close enough within view where he will look my way to acknowledge me and then moves and then the bird gets up. He doesn't charge in or pounce, he just seems to move in, sometimes like he's creeping. Other than not shooting the bird and rewarding him with the bird, is there something else I can do to correct this? I use a beeper and I run alpha 100 on him, so I was wondering if I should be trying to correct him in those situations, which can be tough to do timing-wise, woods handling a gun, etc., cetera, etc., cetera hope this makes okay yeah so that's his question
1: yeah first step i would take is i start putting a bell on that dog because that's gonna eliminate any guesswork on his part yes okay what do you hear first bell or wing
0: real-time information
1: yep it's a bell feeds you information all the time beepers and gps both have a lag of Mm. some length before you truly know what that dog did okay and you can err both ways because of that lack. You know, you can think, ah, you know, the bird just got antsy. And we all kind of like to think the best of our dogs. He didn't do anything wrong. And then your and then, and dogs can also be blamed for things that, no, they did everything right. It just didn't work. Yep. Um, so a bell is going to feed you that information. doesn't have to be for life if you don't like bells. But the, for the purposes of making the right call as a handler, I think that's a great tool for this situation. The next thing I would do, most likely the root, I'm always looking for the root cause. Most likely the root cause is something like this, especially, I don't know what the range the birds are being contacted in, but when you see that little bit of movement in, as you're on the home stretch, you're closing in, you're there, man, right? And and that duck slides in just a little bit, that simply is anticipation for what's about to happen. He's five, he knows what's about to happen, right? This is the deal. This bird's about to go go after he's gonna shoot at this it. great. You can get rid of that with more steadiness training. You train a dog like that to be steady to wing, his creeping will go away. Because there's no anticipation of that right. chase at the flush. It's gone. You've taken away the root cause through additional steadiness training. He may have a little more of a job in front of him at five had he done it at two and a half or three, but it by it sure can still be done. That will solve that. So strengthen the woe, strengthen the woe, steady the dog to wing in this next off season. You got to stand there when those birds go. And that's not a small job for a lot of dogs, but you got time between now and next fall. So if you want to get rid of that little slide in as you approach, that's the way to do it. That's the pathway to get there. Um, You know, if it's costing him opportunities consistently, I absolutely think he should do that, you know? Right. It's going to, it's going to, it's worth the work. It's going to pay off. You know, there's a lot of guys out there hunting with dogs that those dogs will do that and they're in killing range Mm -hmm. and they'll only do it when they're in killing range. Those dogs are waiting for them.
0: Right. Your dog goes on point a hundred yards away, holds it until you get there. And then it's game
1: time. Yeah. Exactly. The dogs go, you're here. I'm here. Bird's here. Let's do this. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> um, so, so that's why I asked the range, the dog, the birds are being contacted at, but you know, if the bird is being pointed 50 yards from the gun and you're only 10 yards towards that and you hear bell and wings time to get to work. Right. Yep. Right.
0: Yep. Yeah. Good tip there with the bell and the, I run, I run bells on my dogs quite Softer, small bells, I don't need real loud ones because I got GPS collars on them, but I just, I'm too, I like that real-time information too much. There's just lots of stuff that you don't see in the grouse woods when it comes to the timing of birds and dogs moving, that sort of thing, so it's
1: good. Yeah, and I am on that same page with you for that reason, but also I just find uh, the tinkle of a bell in the woods more pleasant to listen to than beeping yeah um and and gps has come so far it's really kind of eliminated the need for a beeper collar Mm. and um and then last week with some of my middle-aged seasoned dogs hunting some places i knew these birds were carrying a phd in dogs and hunters in their back pocket i went stealth mode gps only i don't need that belt with this dog the cover's down I know that dog. They know me. They know the game. We were stealth mode. Right. And I think that helps, you know. Um, some of these public land birds, when you get into November, they've they've been through the ringer. And if they're still out there, they've, they've, there's a reason they're still out there. They've heard
0: a bell or two by that point. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> yeah.
1: Where I was last week, I guarantee it.
0: Yeah. All right. This is the last one on the list from Lucas. My wife and I have a one-and-a-half-year-old female Gordon setter. Uh, In Minnesota, grouse hunt every chance we can in the fall and pheasant hunt from time to time. Last fall was our dog's first season, and we got her out as much as we could and got her into a lot of grouse. Our dog's change in performance was incredible to watch from her first day of the season to our last. One thing that stayed true for the most part throughout the season was the damage to downed birds our dog did. She'd only spend 10 to 20 seconds with the bird and then was off to find another, and the breasts had holes in them from her teeth. Dog is not steady to wing her shot. She also retrieves when playing fetch for fun, but will not retrieve a downed bird while hunting. How do we go about correcting this behavior of having such a rough mouth on birds?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one because these are the grouse hunters, right? And those are prizes and you hate to see one roughed up bad, you know? Um, However, I've always called it puppy hard mouth. Uh, I have seen countless dogs the first season uh-huh. and they're first getting their mouth on fresh shot birds. They'll turn into a little bit of an alligator on you. They'll be roughly, but over time, again, going back. I think we mentioned it earlier, you, you get an accumulation of that situation and they're able to not get ratcheted up mentally so much that they're hard on. They kind of ratchet down on you a little bit. It's, it's another dead bird. Now, grouse hunting is not a game of big body count where this dog, I, you know, they didn't kill 50 grouse over this dog its first season, right? So it's probably a relatively small number that this dog has had its, birth, its mouth at. Um I would still hold out hope that that's going to go away on its own. Uh, they could, after grouse season, if they can find a release bird place that has good flying birds where they're not going to get any bad. I'm always worried about bad birds creating bad habits with the young pointing dogs. No. But if everything else is okay, that would be an opportunity to continue to accumulate shooting bird experience over the dock. Dead birds, dead birds, dead birds. And see which way it's going. Staying the same, getting worse, getting better. Because they got a little window coming up here spring and summer where there's probably not going to be a lot of bird shot i would absolutely keep hunting and give it time and i mean i've seen them nick i've seen them eat them at first right Yep. and and, co- and come around that. And, uh, and you know blowing guts out at the end if it's he mentioned a couple tooth marks that's not overly concerning to uh-huh. me yep um you know i see some start that bird is not edible <laughs> when that talk got done with it and, and that just makes you cry if that's a rough grouse, right? Yeah. Um, but so give this dog a little time, kill some more birds over it, and see where it goes. By two and a half, if we're, the needle isn't moving the right more the right way, um, then I would begin a little bit of trained retrieve stuff with the dog. Because ultimately, if you get to the point where you feel like the genetics have had a chance to express themselves, this dog has accumulated some depth of experience, and you have retrieving issues. That's where it always goes back to.
0: Got it. So yeah, the solution there would be would be train retrieve if required and if needed. In the yeah. in the meantime, keep an eye on this young dog and yeah.
1: I think first season. I think he's a little premature to dive right into that. Um, just kind of have that on your radar and just you know. Boy, time just solves a lot of things. Yeah. And and one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, I've never forgotten early in my career from a real experienced dog man was you be very careful with young dogs, which you start to look at as a problem. Because as soon as you start to view something as a problem, you're sure enough going to try and fix it. Mm -hmm. And you might just do some damage when a lot of these things are going to go away. They're going to go away. Yeah. Give them a chance to go away. If you need to do it down the road, you do it down the road. These dogs live a long time. You know, like we talked to, us, not a race to check this box on. And I don't care, you know, if your friend's dog is doing this or whatever, it's all about your dog.
0: Yep. That's great advice and a fine point to kind of wrap this up on a little bit of, well, I should say a lot of patience as a, as a bird dog trainer. I, I can see, and I know you, you understand, like you can see the, it's, the the fear in the back of the mind is always gosh am i like am i making some grave mistake here by not addressing something or if i let this go does it become a ridiculous problem so it's always a, it's a push yeah. pull you know of of how do i be patient and but when you got young dogs like you said it's definitely exercise some patience and be careful before you go about trying to pound thing you know pound every nail you see cuz you got a hammer in your hand
1: yeah you know with young dogs what you see today is still very much in a state of change yeah most often and you're absolutely right there's that balance okay am i allowing something to continue to take place and that's going to bite me next year or do i nip this in the bud right now and teach that dog that is not okay and the problem with roughing up birds is any attempt at correcting that can be taken wrong by the dog right I'm not supposed to get that you don't you don't like that when I have that we don't want them to think that you know there's no way pre-trained retrieve with when we're a little older for that dog to understand that this attempt at correcting it was for the bite they're gonna go was for having the bird right right so always be aware of how your dog is perceiving your training so in, the, in that case too that
0: again kind of lends itself to the idea that give this a little bit of a give it a little bit of time you know obviously we don't want ruined birds but let's see and and i will say i i've seen saw that with i don't know about rose so much but hartley definitely you know he had a it was almost like he was you, you get a bird in his mouth like a, the first training bird that i that i showed him like he's clamped down on it real it's just like he was intoxicated by the scent and the sensation of that bird as a young dog but that that did not carry through
1: into later in life for him No, the majority of them are going to mature out of that. Yeah.
0: All right, Justin. Well, that is a wrap on the questions. I cannot thank you enough for taking a bunch of time with us today. That was a blast. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it, and certainly thanks to everybody out there that submitted questions for this one.
1: Yeah, I did enjoy it. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully we can uh, do it again somewhere down the line.
0: Absolutely. Uh, That'd be good. Sounds good, buddy. Well, I'm going to let you go today. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us on the Birdshot podcast. Uplandinstitute.com, that's the best place to go and learn more about you and your teachings, right, Justin? That's it. All right, buddy. Have a great rest of your fall. We will talk soon, and thank you again.
1: All right, Nick. Appreciate it. Have a good one.
0: Take care. Bye. We'll see you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast.